Well, we're continuing with our series, which I would call Lost and Found, uh, where we uh, see that Jesus has been fellowshipping. He has been uh, eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the leaders, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees are grumbling about that. And it says, whenever he hears this, it says that, uh, it says the words are, so he told them this parable saying, and then he gives us a trilogy of parables, actually. Every one of them in response to the grumbling of the scribes and the Pharisees because Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And good people aren't supposed to be associating with bad people. And the first one that he gives is the uh, uh, parable of the lost sheep. And as we looked at that, if you'll recall, we saw that uh, uh, Jesus is the good shepherd, that he goes after the lost sheep. And he rejoices when a sheep is found and brought back into the fold. And he doesn't rejoice alone. He calls all his friends and neighbors, and they all rejoice together and have a party. And so and he, and he says, and I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And we went in on and we saw just how much we could trust Jesus being our good shepherd because what other shepherd ever became a lamb so that he could pay the price so that a sheep could be brought back in the fold? And then he told the parable of the lost coin. And he talks about how it's lost and the uh, lady that's lost it just looks and looks and looks for it. She has 10 and she doesn't go say, eh, I still have nine. That coin is precious to her. And she doesn't rejoice until she's diligently searched for it and found it. And then she calls her girlfriends together. And they party because it was lost and it was precious. And now it's been returned to where it should be. And so in the first two, we see that lost sheep, lost coins, lost people are valuable and precious to our Heavenly Father. And it's like in each one of these, he's just kind of, if you look at it one way, he's kind of ramping up his goading these scribes and Pharisees for grumbling because he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Because he's making it clear to them that instead of shunning the lost, instead of shunning those who uh, were uh, seeking God and seeking something in life, but we're looking in the wrong places instead of turning their backs on them and having nothing to do with them. 
They should be loving them into the kingdom. And so it brings us to the last parable, the parable of the lost sons. You know, it says we, we, we call it the, the parable of the prodigal son. The word prodigal means extravagant. And they call it the parable of the prodigal son because the son takes his inheritance and spends it so such a big way, we might say. He extravagantly spends all of it and he has nothing left. But you know, I, I, Tim Keller, a Presbyterian minister, a great author and a great preacher, uh, wrote a book called The Prodigal God because as we look at this parable, the thing that really stands out the most when we see that God is represented in the Father is the extreme and extravagant and loving uh, love of God for each one of us. And so he calls it the parable of the prodigal God, the God who just loves us so extremely and extravagantly. There are several parts to this parable, and they almost break down into acts. In the first act, we see that there is a man who has two sons. Obviously, one is older than the other, unless they were twins. But uh, these two, uh, one was older than the other. And the younger, and just listen to what it says. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And then what we see next is incredible. It says, so he divided his wealth between them. It doesn't say he got upset. It doesn't say he got angry. It just says, so he divided his wealth between them. In between the lines, the people there in that day would have probably gone, oh. you would have felt a rush of wind as people just sucked in air at just how horrible this thing is that this younger son has done. Because in that day, when the father died, his property would be separated between his children. And the older son, the older brother, would have gotten two-thirds of the estate. The younger son would have gotten one-third of his estate. And for the younger brother to say, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. He's basically saying, I don't care about you. All I care about is your stuff and what I have coming to me from you. And I want it now. In another way, he's saying, I've just been waiting for you to die. Let's get this over with. And so he's saying in a way, Dad, I wish you were already dead. Wow. And it's an insult. It hurts. It's an insult. And he and, 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 and but what does he do? It just says, so he divided his wealth between them. No retaliation, no ugliness, 
a kind of love that you don't see among many parents, do you? And he doesn't try to make him stay in the household. He doesn't make him try to stay a part of the family. If this young man wants what he thinks he has coming to him and to leave, he lovingly lets him go. It says, and not many days later, the young man gathered everything together and went on a journey to a district country. I'm sure it took several days for his father to liquidate a third of his estate so he could give it to his son in a way that his son could take with him. And so the young son goes off and we know what he does. He squanders everything that his father had given him. And then he comes to himself. He realizes just uh, uh, how he's just hungry. He's destitute. He has nothing left and says that no one would give him anything to eat. The hog food was looking good. He was in a tough, tough place. And then he thought, you know, my father's servants are a whole lot better off than I am. I don't deserve to be his child anymore. I don't deserve to be his son, but I'll go back and maybe, maybe he'll let me be a servant in his household. That would be better than what I have now. And so he goes home. As he goes home, he rehearses what he's going to say to his father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I don't deserve to be your son. Would you allow me to be a servant in your household? I had a church member one time. I met him in a counseling class for alcohol and drug abuse, and he had been delivered out of the pit of, or uh, was coming out of the pit of alcoholism. He had at one point been close to the Lord, drifted away and just fell, as I said, into, the, into just the trap of alcoholism. He did things he wasn't proud of and he didn't feel like he was worthy of God's love. But the life that he had lived was so bad and so dark and he said, just to be among God's people, just to be in church, felt so much better. To be among church people was so much better than where he'd been. And he said, so would you mind if I just came to your church? Would you mind if I just came? I said, hey, you can come. You can worship. Jesus still loves you. And so he came, and then he was renewed in his walk with the Lord. Just like this prodigal son, he had drifted far away. But the love of Jesus overpowered his sense of not being worth anything anymore. And so, instead of just being a servant into God's house, he was wanting to just come and serve in any way that he could, just like in the story of the parable, Jesus ran out and met him and took him in. 
I'll cut the rest of his story real short. He became very involved in church. And oh, one, then after I left the church, he called me one day. He said, how do you go about campaigning to be lay leader? Joe Beth, you ever thought about campaigning to be lay leader? It's a thankless job. But he was wanting to, he was so, he'd come so far that he wanted to know how you campaign. I said, you just talk to your preacher about it. And I bet you'll be lay leader before you can even turn around. And sure enough, this guy who thought that he was too far gone to even be in church and had to ask a preacher if it was okay if he came and worshiped, found out that God's love trumped everything that he uh, thought God might be holding against him. Well, we go on in the story and we, we see that he, he came to the father and the father was looking for him and he saw him in the distance and as he approached it says that the father ran to meet him now elders fathers did not run unless something major was going on because to run you had to pick up your robe and show your legs in order to run. This father didn't care what other people thought. He ran to his son. And his son began his recitation. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And the father didn't even let him finish. He said, quick, bring him a robe. Put it on his shoulders. Bring him a ring and put it on his finger. You know what that ring meant? The ring meant that he was a part of a family. And he had authority in that family. As he came, the Lord, the, the Father didn't put him on any sort of probation period and say, well, we'll just see. Yeah, we'll take you back as a servant and we'll just see how things go. And then trying to hold back his excitement, say, and if you do okay, maybe we'll take you back into the family. No, there was none of that. Immediately, he was a part of the family. And he was a part of the family that had all the authority that went with being a member of the family. All was forgiven. And instead of putting him on a trial period, the father says, quick, bring the fatted calf and kill it and call the neighbors and let's celebrate. Now, this is something that you did for major occasions. Now let's step a little bit further because at this point, let's see what it says. Let's go on down here. And so uh, it says, then for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they, they began to celebrate. Now begins act two. Now his older son was in the field 
And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could mean. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you. And another translation says, I have slaved for you. And I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he won't even call him by name. And notice he has separated himself from the family. This son of yours, he won't even say my brother or call him by name. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. That's the end of Act 2. Now at this point, we have a father and we have two brothers. And we can all identify and we should identify with the younger brother, shouldn't we? Because all of us in some way have gone far, far from home. And notice that what he squandered wasn't really his to squander. It wasn't rightfully his yet, except for the fact that the father let him have it. So he squandered stuff that wasn't even his and then finds himself destitute. He finds himself where a lot of us have found ourselves we found ourselves poor in spirit, as Jesus says. We found ourselves far, far from home. And uh, whenever you are a younger son and you realize that you're far from home, it's easy to tell the younger son. I mean, you wake up in a pigsty and uh, you're starving and uh, the hog food's looking good and you have a sexually transmitted disease. You know, you know uh, when you're a younger brother. You know when you have separated yourself from, from God. And you know you don't deserve to come home. But somehow you know that he'll take you back in some way. We can all, we've all been there. And that's usually what's uh, just really highlighted in this story, and rightfully so, because you see in this parable, we see the whole of the story of the relationship between God and mankind. We see a young man who is in his father's house, and he takes up and he leaves and separates himself from his father, just as Adam and Eve separated themselves from God. 
And as all of us separate ourselves from God at one point or another. But then we see this second son. Oh, and we know that, and it's all we've already talked about this, that what the younger son really cared about was what he could get out of the father. And if he had to be bad to get it and ugly to his father to get it, he would. He basically just took what his father would give him and ran with it. And then after it was all gone, he's repentant and he comes home and he has nothing to offer. He has, he can't say, look how good I've been, dad. He can't say, hey, look how I've earned so much with what you gave me. He can't do any of that. All he can do is come, as the song says, just as I am without one plea. That's all he can do. But we know that we have a loving father that will run out to us in Jesus Christ and take us in. You know, we're out of time today. And so we're going to take up with Act 2 next week when we're going to look at the older brother and we're going to see some shocking things about the older brother. But uh, today as we close, if there are any of you, just stop and think about it. Any of you that maybe you have felt like you have been separated from God in such a way. And maybe you've been attending church just wanting to be a servant in the household of God. And maybe you feel that he's still holding some things against you. The message of the day is that there is nothing that can separate you from his great love. It's obviously not what you do that makes you acceptable to God. What makes you acceptable to God is the fact that he loves you more than you could ever, ever think or imagine. It says in the scripture in Isaiah that the, that the how does it, how is it worded? The chastening for our peace fell on him. 700 years before Jesus came and went to the cross to pay the price to become the loving father that made a way for us graciously to come back and be reinstated. 700 years before, we see that he paid the price. He was willing to undergo humility for us because of his great love for us. And so I encourage you that if you think that there's something that God just can't forgive, that you'll forget about it. That if you've been trying and trying to be good enough and it just hasn't been good enough yet, that you'll realize that that's not what it's all about. It's about just how much he cares for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for reminding us just how deep your love goes for us, that there's no distance that we can put up, put between ourselves and you that can't be overcome with one moment of turning around and taking a step back toward you. And I pray for any of those here this morning that have uh, uh, realized this morning that they can come home. I, I pray that they will receive your great love 
and be home and enjoy your presence this day. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for this great, great love you revealed to us. In Jesus' name, amen.